It's interesting when, when we just pause and be still before the Lord that, that we start to see things a little bit differently than in the busyness of our day, in the craziness of our day. And, and I just think it's, it's this amazing thing that, that when we are still before the Lord and we shut out all the noise and all the, all the craziness, that we begin to hear God, we begin to hear his voice, and, and, and he, he speaks to us. And, and I want us to, to shift this morning to uh, the, the next part of that verse where it says, be still and know. And the, and the and know is really know God, like to, to begin to actually know who God is, the character of God, his love for us. And, and I'm a firm believer that, that in order for us to know God, to experience his character and his love and his grace really comes in the form of worship. I, I think that worship is the key to everything. Uh, I think if you, uh, I, I hear people say all the time, oh, I want to learn more about uh, God's healing work in people's life. I want to learn more about not just his, his healing work, but I want to hear his voice. And uh, I want to see God do miracles in the, in the miraculous. And, and I would just say that all of that begins with worship. All of it comes down to the worship that we enter into with God. Because the reality is, and you know this inherently, that that every one of us worships, right? We all worship something. The question is, what is the thing that we worship? Some people worship their family. Like they put their family above everything else. They, some people worship, uh, worship their business. They worship money. They, some people don't worship any of those things. They, they worship themselves, and they put themselves above everything else. We, we were designed, we were created to be worshipers. And this morning, I want us to take a look at what it means to, to be a true worshiper. In John chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in the truth. For they are the kind of worshiper that the Father seeks. The Lord is looking for worshipers. If you're like me, if you're being honest, there's probably been times in your life, maybe, maybe I'm the, uh, the unhealthy one uh, in the room, but, but maybe there's been times where you've thought, why is worship so important? What, what is it that, like, why, do, why am I serving a God whose love language is words of affirmation, that, uh, that, that he just needs to be affirmed by me, he just needs my worship, and, uh, and, and it seems a little egotistical to have a God that, that just needs my worship. And those are thoughts that I've had uh, in the past, not, not recently, uh, fortunately, for most of you. Um, but if you've had those thoughts, the reality is, is that passage of Scripture doesn't say that he needs our worship. It says he's looking for worshipers. 
He's looking for people who will, who will be worshipers. And the question is why? Why is he looking for worshipers? Because every decision, every thought, every plan that God has has always been motivated by love. It's always love. And love, as we see in 1 Corinthians 13, it chooses the best, it believes the best, it wants the best. And if God is going to choose the best for you and he's wanting us to be worshipers, then there must be an effect that worship has on our life that's beyond just singing songs. That there's something deeper, something transformational, there's something life-giving that happens when we become worshipers. Sometimes we get caught in the trap of worshiping for something. Uh, I found myself uh, in this, uh, getting caught in this, where I will, I will go to worship or I will go to prayer in order to get something out of God. I think there's this uh, kind of weird thinking that we have that somehow we can manipulate the God of the universe. That if that if we were to just worship in the right way or pray in the right way or pray long enough or worship long enough, then, then God will be like, oh my goodness, I didn't realize that I needed to do that into your life. And so let me, now that you've, you've done it that long, now let me, and, and I, I found myself, I'll just give you the story. I, uh, when I came here 12 years ago with my family, um, it was, it, there, there, was a, there was a challenging time, but it's interesting that uh, we used to live off of Hardy Oak up here, uh, off of Wilderness Oak and Hardy Oak, and, and every morning on my drive to, to the office, and actually it would be a little bit longer than the drive to the office because I would always go to Starbucks on, uh, on Blanco in 1604 first, and then I would drive up to the, to the office real early in the morning. And I would find myself praying over the home's that I was passing because you're, you, you know, it's just track home after track home after track home. And I'm just praying, God, would you bring people, would you use this church to be a blessing in this community? And to be honest with you, I was motivated to pray this way, primarily because 80% of the church left. I was like, God, I, I don't want to, I don't want to preach to an empty room. <laughs> would you bring people? Would you, would you bring transformation and, and lives and and would, would people come and, and have their lives changed? And I would pray, and I, I would sing, I would worship, and I was worshiping with the intent that God would do something and just instead of worshiping because of God. Uh, you know, no one said I was perfect in this situation. But what's interesting is after people did come, people showed up. I found myself that the more people showed up, the less I prayed. The more he answered the call, the less I, I continued the practice. And I think what happens is we are motivated to get something out of our worship, and worship is not a means to an end. It is the end. It is it. Worship is, is, worship is. We worship him for who he is, not for what we can get. 
In loving me, God chooses to design me as a worshiper. See, we always become what we worship, right? If, 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 there's, if there, there's no greater passion that he has for us than we would become conformed into the image and to the likeness of Jesus, his son. That that, that that's what all of this is about. This journey, this faith journey is about how do we become closer and closer to Jesus? How do we, be, how do we look more like him? And Jesus' response to that, God's response, our Heavenly Father's response to that is in the midst of worship. Because as we see him, as we press into that relationship, we become more and more like him. So I'll give you an example. I heard it this way. If you, if you took somebody who gets saved, and for 50 years they attend church faithfully, and they experience worship for 10 to 15 minutes of their morning, of their Sunday morning, like religiously just there all the time. But you were to take somebody who maybe recently surrendered their life to Jesus just a couple of years ago, and they found dedicated time to spend in worship and in the presence of God, my question would be, which of those two is going to look more like Jesus? See, it's not, it's not, the, it's not the, the amount of time. It's like this consistency. It's, this, it's the entering into his presence with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. It's entering into worship with God. See, we're transformed in our exposure to the presence of Jesus. And every time we take a moment to turn our affection towards the Lord, and we're just still, and we rest in adoration of him, we're being changed. Psalm 73, 25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. It's possible that we can actually dilute our worship down and make it about us. Jesus, in talking to the religious people, he says one of the most challenging things to these guys. He says in Matthew 15, he says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And I think about that, that statement that Jesus makes to these religious people, and I think about the times that I, I come here and I sit on the front row and I'm gathering my thoughts and I'm thinking, and I'm just, I'm just reading the words. I'm, I'm honoring him with my lips, but my heart is somewhere else. My mind is thinking on other things. See, if we want to be still and know who he is, then James reminds us that we have to draw near to him. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So I want us to take a look at Psalm 100 and I want to see if there's something that we can pull out of this that might be applicable and helpful when it comes to our worship of God. 
It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Previously in Psalm 99.5, it says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. I think it's interesting that we are often motivated by a lot of things. We're motivated by words. We're motivated by inspiration. We're motivated by all of this stuff in a way that is often more than being motivated by Scripture. When it says make a joyful noise to the Lord, how many of us would just agree that part of the reason we don't sing very loud is because, to be honest, we're not very good. We're not very good at it. And we're afraid that if we sing loud, somebody else is going to hear us. Right? This is my, the plight that I live under with my wife. She's like elbowing me. She's like, tone it down a little bit. You're a little loud. You're like, you're throwing my, my, me off. And it, no, she's not that way. But, but there's a hesitation in us to, to sing loud because we're afraid people might actually hear us. And yet, the beauty of that is when we sing aloud, we are making a joyful noise. Some of you, more of a noise than others. And that's okay. You know why? Because it's scriptural. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. When was the last time in the midst of our our worship time did you speak blessings to him? When was the last time that you actually spoke words of thanksgiving to the Lord? See, we're often motivated by the words of the song, but but we're not as motivated by the scripture. Honestly, for me, it's, it's not super difficult to, when, it, when a song says I'm on my knees, to, not, to just be standing up because it's, it's the words of a song. But when I read a passage of scripture that says, give thanks to him and bless his name, I'm convicted by that because I don't do it. I don't, I don't make it a point as I come into the worship time to say, God, thank you for what you're doing in my life. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for your love and your mercy. God bless your name today. If we look at Psalm 100, we are given these instructions on what we are to do when we worship. Come into his presence with singing. It's why we gather and sing. It's not for a sing-along. We're not that good. We're not a big choir. We come into his presence with singing because that's what scripture invites us to do. We enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Thanksgiving is supposed to be expressed. I've heard people say, well, I have a thankful heart. That's fantastic. 
We like people with thankful hearts. We want people to have thankful hearts because they're a lot nicer to be around. But it's not enough. There are things that need to be spoken. Some things don't have power unless they are spoken. Meaning, I just I think that it's important for us that when it says speak words of thanksgiving, to actually speak out the words of thanksgiving. To actually say it instead of think it. Because here's the thing is or, or, or to feel it, because we're we're not mindless creatures. We're not. We're not mindless. In fact, we, we're reminded from Matthew 22, 37 that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. And so there has to be this moment, this effort that's put forth to, to where we're actually thinking about who God is. That, that we're actually contemplating the things that he has done and who he is and his love and his mercy and his grace. And we speak to that which we are thankful for. See, Israel was acquainted to the acts of God, but Moses, it says in Scripture, that he was acquainted to his ways. I heard it like this, that if, if God's given you a gift, if there's something that you are thankful for in your life, maybe you have experienced healing or restoration or a miracle in your life, and, and this iPad represents it. God isn't in the habit of giving iPads, but I don't think... Um, but if, if this is the gift, if, if this is the thing that he has done in your life and given to you, there's a string attached to that. There's a string that if we were to just begin to pull on the string, we would draw closer to him and we would understand it goes beyond just the gift into who he is, into knowing him, into knowing his character Seeing what God does is great, but it's just the beginning. And if we want the encounter of God, we have to go farther to discover his nature. I think that I'm under the belief that if people actually knew and understood the character of God, and they, they knew God, that every church in this city would be full. That... that that people would be so enamored with who God is that, that, that we would be gathering way more often than we are because we would be so overwhelmed by his goodness. So enter his gates with thanksgiving. And not only did, does he provide for us, it's his nature to provide. His personhood is to be a provider so I can sing with my heart, but I want to draw nearer still. I want to be able to say, God, thank you for being my provider. The word worship in the Old Testament uh, probably comes as no shock to any of you that it means to bow down or to bow low. Uh, interestingly, I just discovered this in the New Testament. The Greek word is proskunio, and it means to kiss. It's the same word that is used in reference to kiss, that there is this difference that worship is. 
In thanksgiving, I'm responding to what he has done. In praise, I am acknowledging who he is. But in worship, it's different. See, thanksgiving and praise, those are sacrifices. They're both sacrifices. We go beyond what's convenient. We do it even when we don't feel like it. We offer up a sacrifice of our praise, Scripture says. And so if you've ever been in a situation where you're living your life with a diagnosis or a circumstance or a season of your life and you come in and you have to offer up thanksgiving and praise, you know the sacrifice that it is because it's not easy. That in the midst of difficult times, one of the hardest things we do is offer up a sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise. In the act of worship, in our, in our worship, you don't hear that there is a sacrifice of worship. Rather, what happens in worship is we become the sacrifice. We are the offering to the Lord. Those moments when we enter into those tender, intimate times and say, God, here is an I, here I am, I am an offering to you. Yes, we enjoy the music. Yes, we, it's nice to have a good band and all of those things. And, and all of those things are great. But, but at the end of the day, our worship is me being a sacrifice to him. Did you know that you can actually enjoy the party of God's goodness and, and never actually behold him? It's kind of like attending a party and the host is in the corner and every once in a while you kind of glance over and you look their way and you see him, you kind of nod at him and you, you wave at him. But you never engage the person that invited you to the party. You're a rude guest if you do that, but it's possible to do it. At some point, all of the food, all of the celebration, all of your friends... All of those things should at some point draw you to the person who invited you to the party. And there's this exchange that takes place. An example potentially of this, and I, I don't want to step on any toes. I, I, I think I did in first service. But this last week, there's this amazing, amazing concert that was in town uh, of Casting Crowns and Hillsong Worship and Elevation Worship. And my wife went to it, and so did, like, the whole church, seemed like. Uh, and I know this because I didn't fast Facebook from, from my being still moments this last week, and a lot of you didn't either because I saw the videos. Um, so many of you went to this concert. It was a great concert, and, and it's, it's, an, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing time to, to be in the AT&T Center and to see all of those people singing along with the songs and lifting their hands. And, and I would just, as a as a word of caution, push back and say, but, but are you missing out on the one who invited you to the party? Because it's possible to go to a concert like that and to sing the songs and to be with friends and miss a potential opportunity to have an intimate moment with your creator. There's nothing wrong with worship concerts. 
There's nothing wrong with having a worship team and a band, but, but if our expectations become it has to sound a certain way, it has to look a certain way, it has to be a certain way in order for me to experience worship, we will miss the point altogether. And we'll miss out on a perfect opportunity to have an intimate moment with God. I want to read to you Psalm 115. It says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and and, uh, it's one of my new favorite passages of Scripture because when people challenge things of God and they say, well, you know, are you sure that God really works that way? Or I don't know about about this, I, you know, I think, I, I don't know if that's a biblical thing. And, and you begin to question, like, is it possible that God could do that? The easiest response is to push back and say, well, Psalm 115.3 says, uh, our God is in the heavens. He, he does all that he pleases. I'll translate it for you. He does whatever he wants. He's God and we're not. It goes on to say, their idols are silver and gold, the the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. Eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. Noses, but they don't smell. They have hands, but they don't feel. Feet, but they don't walk. And they they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. And so do all who trust them. See, you'll always trust what you worship. And in this context, we're talking about a group of people who are making these idols. They're making these images, and and they are becoming like them. You trust, you always trust what you worship. If you are money-focused, that's where your trust is, and that's what you worship. If you are spouse-focused, And that's the only place you put your trust. See, they became like the God that they worship. And all of those things begin to die when they turn their heart and affection toward them. It's why when we speak about tithes and offerings, we talk talk about it being a heart thing. That it's a... It's a reminder to us that that is not where our trust is. We put our trust in God. Verse 8, it says that those who, who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. But verse 9 then says, Israel, trust in the Lord. He's their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He's their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. So where is our trust this morning? Where's our trust? Because where our trust is, is where our worship is. If it's difficult for us to enter into his presence, into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, and offer up our worship ourselves to him, is it because our trust is somewhere else? Do we not trust him? The reality is, is that we have three 
main areas of worship. It is this ministry towards God. We have this ministry towards other believers. And then we have this ministry to those who are far from Jesus. And of course, those who are far from God, we operate out of this sense of urgency because we want people to experience the hope and the life that we have. But I would argue that if our focus is only there and not on number one, Number two and three are really difficult. They're hard. See, if we don't prioritize and take care of the first things, then we suffer at the other two things. But if we make an effort to know God, if we make an effort to step into his presence and prioritize the ministry, the ministry that we have to God, all of a sudden, we become more and more like his son. We, we, we become more in the image of his son. And when we talk to other believers, we do so like Jesus. When we talk to those who are far from God, all of a sudden there's this compassion in these eyes to see people and this, this love for people. What does it look like to be a church that worships? Not sings, but worships. It's good to celebrate with singing. It is. It's biblical. But don't stop at singing. Let's not, let's not dilute our worship of God to a song. And instead, could we bring our worship to a place of thanksgiving, of praise, and of sacrifice of ourselves and surrender to say, God, today and for every day, I am yours. I want to challenge us this week again to think about these opportunities. We're, we're being still, but if you want to know who God is, could you enter into a time of worship, of surrender of your life, of sacrifice to say, God, I am here and I am giving myself to you today. Let's pray.